0: Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor David Eldridge. Last week and this week, we're taking a little bit of a break. Uh, We're going to jump into Galatians next week, but we're taking a little bit of, of a break looking at these things we call anchors, these four anchors of our church. An anchor is something that keeps you tied or tethered in place. And these are four values that we think or believe and hope, uh, keep us tied to what God wants to do in us and what he wants to do through us. If you think about a tree, you want to have deep roots and broad branches. And so we look at these anchors in two pairs. And the the deep roots we looked at last week, this is what God wants to do in us. He wants us to become more like Jesus, and he wants us to be led by the Holy Spirit. And we talked about humility as the key to both of those things. You're not going to be led if you think you know what's best. And so humility is this acknowledged Need or this recognized dependence upon the Lord, and so if I'm going to be led, I've got to acknowledge I need to be led. When you think about becoming more like Jesus, you think about the fruit of the Spirit: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Uh, those virtues grow in the soil and the dirt of humility. Apart from humility, you're not going to grow in any of those other things. If you if your desire is to be more peaceful or more patient or more self-controlled. Step one is humility, acknowledging your need for the Lord. You can't will your way into those things. We don't have it in us. And so that's what we looked at uh, last week. This week, we're going to look at those second pair, uh, broad branches. This is how God wants to use us in our community and in the world. And we have these corny little phrases for both of these. One is doing your deal, which is corny, but you won't forget it. And that's tied to Ephesians 2, 2.10, that God has good works that He's prepared in advance for each of us to do. And then the second, we call it finding your Marietta, which is a little weird, but I'll explain that. And that's tied to Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. That's basically, it's serve where God has planted you as a church. When we started, it was on the square of Marietta, and we said for others who were coming, like, the, the, uh, corporately we're serving in the place where God has planted us and that impacted the schools that we connected to and the things that we did on the square. We've obviously since moved from there and we recognize many people, maybe most people, are not necessarily tied to this kind of heart of Marietta deal. And so your Marietta may look different. It may be Kennesaw. It may be the University of Georgia. It may be New York where you're about to move. I, I don't, those different, I, I don't know. And so we want all of us to recognize the sovereignty of God and putting us where we are and say he wants to use us in that place. So just like last week, we've got a video, um, two families in our church are just saying, here's what these things looked out, look like in my life. We're not holding them up and saying everybody needs to do what they do, but hopefully it will help to flesh out uh, some of the things that I'll be talking about after the video. So y'all check this out.
1: Doing the works that God's prepared for us is a big task. And the world tries to tell us that we are a cog in the machine of the economy and your social atmosphere. Um, But when you come to know Jesus, he challenges you to act. And uh, what better feeling than to do the works that he prepared instead of my plans, which Mess up sometimes.
2: When we first started coming to church here, we would hear like doing your deal, and I felt this like pressure <laughs> of like, what am I supposed to be doing? I feel like I'm just like working a job and that I'm just living life, and there's nothing really intentional about that. Mm. Um, but I just started praying through like reveal that to me, Lord, and give me a specific thing that we are created individually and as a couple to do. We prayed over our home when we bought our first home and said, this is your home, and you can do with it um, as you please. It ended up manifesting as foster care, which um, we did not see coming. The Lord just really, was intentional about leading us into a specific area Mm. that we were able to use that like broader feeling of like hospitality and then like narrowing it down even more to like children that need a safe place to call their home Um, and then getting to see our rooms filled with children. Mm -hmm. God really stretches you when you do find that area that you can call your own. Mm -hmm. He grows you a lot um, and reveals a lot of selfishness and a lot of pride and just chips away at that little by little by service to others.
1: You might be drawn to it because you think you're helping other people or people who don't have Jesus. And then you turn around and you know, you kids go to bed at night and you look at the day and say, I messed up, or I did not do the works exactly as God planned. But then there's tomorrow. Jesus really moves in in my own heart when, like Tess said, you know, revealing the the parts of my day that are selfish. The gentle staff of our good shepherd. Mm-hmm. You see that a lot when you start acting in the direction He's leading you. Mm-hmm. Wake
3: up. Try and think about what day it is. Thank you for today, I give it back to you. Holy Spirit fill me, Holy Spirit lead me. For me, it's going to the bus stop and praying over the kiddos. Then as I walk back home, like praying for the houses up the street, you know, and that his spirit would flow through the streets of our neighborhood and Mm -hmm. um, into their homes and just little things like that throughout my day. And then wherever I go throughout the day, trying to just constantly check back in, tap back in.
4: struggled for a long, long time uh, what our Marietta was. So we lived in East Cobb um, when we started started going to Stonebridge. So we were waiting for the day that we could move, and the day came, and we're like...
3: We moved a mile away.
4: Going to Marietta. (laughs) And the Lord was like, no, you're not going to Marietta, you're going to stay in East Cobb. So we did.
3: I do a lot in the elementary school also, I volunteer. reach out to the local football coach of the high school and say, how can I pray for your team? Mm-hmm. We do Young Life, wildlife.
4: Yeah. Started a music festival
3: yeah.
4: a long time ago, and, and we've, um, we've turned to like a lot of our best relationships are, are very, very central in our yeah. neighborhood. And sometimes I feel like we're all over the map with what's our Marietta, and then I, other times I feel like it is incredibly specific. Yeah. Uh, and that the Lord is, is super sweet and that he um, just gives us these little victories kind of wherever we feel like our village is.
3: Like finally starting to see, like a return on my investment of like people going, oh, you're for real. But just being willing to do stuff behind the scenes or that's not pretty or upfront or sometimes dirty or um, emotional, like that's a mission field.
4: At the end of the day, our Marietta is relationships. Our Marietta, yes, is Marietta and it's Northeast Cobb, but it's, it's the people.
0: If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Isaiah 61. Um, some of you all know uh, Scott Williford and his company, VLink. They pulled those videos together and did a great job. We're grateful for them doing that. And the couples, the first one was uh, Tess and Alex uh, Dykstra, and the second couple was Les and Ashley Saunders. Some of you all know them. We appreciate them being willing to, to share their stories. So uh, we're going to use Isaiah 61, just the first four verses. It may be familiar to you to look at these two Values, And we're going to focus mostly on the good works part because that, that tends to trip people up. The serve where God has planted you, it's, that's, that's, like, that's it. There's no punchline. Wherever you are, assume that God has put you there and begin to act accordingly. Some of us, when we think about a missionary, we think of someone who moves overseas, and that's true. A very small percentage of the church uh, ever does that. For most of us, we're, it's, it's, it's here. But you're here in a particular neighborhood. You work in a particular industry or a particular organization in a particular department on a particular team. You go to a particular school. You're, you are serving in, or in, involved in particular activities in the community. And to recognize that all of those things are not accidental. God's put you there. Even if you're saying, well, I just like doing that. Well, that's great that you get to do something that you like. And so that uh, just the intentionality around that is really what that serving where you are, finding your Marietta, that's really just about awareness. The aha moment is God wants to use you where you are, period, dot, the end. You don't have to go anywhere else. You don't have to add anything. You don't have to do anything that you're not currently doing. It's just a recognition that where you are is because God has planted you there. And so to begin to say, so, so why? Why me? Why here now? How do you want to use me in these particular circles, in these particular circumstances uh, to bless and love and serve other people? The idea of doing good works, though, it does trip a little bit. It can be uh, tricky for some of us. Uh, some feel like tested and i feel guilty every time you talk about this and it makes me feel like i'm not doing enough or i'm not achieving enough i don't want you to feel that way at all guilt's a horrible motivator good short term long uh, horrible long term motivator so don't feel any pressure you're not going to have to there's no test on the way out you're gonna, not not going to have to say here's kind of how i'm here's how i'm serving or here's what i'm doing none of that just want to set a broad context that hopefully God can begin to speak in. So this is Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, And a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. So this, Isaiah 61, again, many of you know this. uh, Know this passage. It's familiar. It's messianic. It's pointing forward to, I'm going to say, the Messiah King. Uh, We know that's Jesus. When we... When we say Messiah, most of us think Savior, which is 100% true. Jesus was also a king, and sometimes we lose sight of that. Context for Isaiah 61 is you've got people who have been exiled. So they no longer are living in Jerusalem and Judah. Because of their disobedience, God has allowed them to be defeated by the Babylonians, and they're living hundreds of miles away in exile under a foreign government. And so what they're looking forward to... Is the, the the coming of the Messiah King, someone who's going to fix that situation, because there's no other. They don't have any other choices. If you're historically, if your nation was exiled, your nation ceased to exist. You got assimilated into a new population, and so the, the, there's not a lot of hope for them. Their only hope is for God to work, and so they're looking forward to God sending this Messiah King. And then we see in Luke 4, Jesus takes this as his job description. You'll see it on the screen behind me, kind of bullet-pointed, some of the things that Jesus says in Luke 4. I'll read it to you, uh, just a, a couple of verses. He, he's in a synagogue. This is his first sermon. And again, he's, he's laying out his mission or his job description. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So as we're talking about this, you can keep in mind what you've read and what we've talked about from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that seeing the ministry of Jesus through this lens of Isaiah 61, which again, he says, that, that's me. That's what I've come to do. So looking at it maybe in a bit more Depth, the spirit of the Lord is, uh, is on me because he has anointed me. To be anointed uh, is to have oil usually dumped on your head. And that was usually for priests and for kings. It was setting people apart for a particular role, a particular act of service. And it was a symbol of God's empowerment or enablement to accomplish that task. So you take David. He was anointed to be king. So Samuel, who was a prophet, dumps oil on David's head. And so that's setting him apart. You're going to be the king now. And you can trust that God is going to enable you or empower you to be the king. There's both pieces. The setting apart or the consecrating and the, uh, the enablement or the empowerment to that work. And Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit, that he's, he's done that for me. The Father set me apart and the Holy Spirit has come on me. You remember that from his baptism. The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And he's empowered to do this job description by the Holy Spirit. This is the work of the Father through, through the Son. And what is that job? The biggest heading is to proclaim good news to the poor. Then everything else falls under that. So remember who we said Isaiah 61 was geared towards. These guys who are living in exile. So that's about the worst situation you can be in if you're one of God's people. They're, they're curses Particularly in Deuteronomy, if you break the covenant, here's what's going to happen to you. The worst covenant curse is exile. So these guys are, they're facing the worst consequences of their sin. Good news for them is the Messiah King is going to come and make things right. Because that's their only hope. Again, they're experiencing the worst consequences of sin. The poor, there's lots of different words for poor in the Bible. This one is actually the humble Poor So this is what we talked about last week, that idea. these are people who acknowledge their need for God. They recognize their dependence upon Him. They know, we can't, we can't get out of this mess. No nation has ever escaped from exile. The Israelites were the first ones. No one that never happens. We're powerless. We are countryless. We are leaderless. God, if you don't help us, nobody will. Good news to those people, the Messiah King is coming to set things right. And as you think through the ministry of Jesus, that's what he did. Not just to people who were economically disadvantaged, to people who were materially poor. Yes, those guys. In general, people, this is a stereotype, in general, people who have less money are more aware of their need for outside help. We talked last week, the rich young ruler, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. One of the reasons is because people who are rich can take care of themselves. And so they're not aware of their need in a way that the poor are. Again, that's a broad stereotype. But Jesus didn't just talk to people who didn't have a lot of money. Zacchaeus was rich, but he was also poor. Joseph of Arimathea was rich, but he was also poor. Both of those guys recognized their need for God, even though they had a lot of money. And we can see in Jesus' ministry, he's, he's proclaiming to everybody. And the ones who respond are the poor, those who acknowledge their need for God. So that's the umbrella of the, 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 the major job description of this Messiah King. And then it gets, he breaks it down a little bit more. And again, you can see all of this in the ministry of Jesus. He binds up the brokenhearted. That's healing. He bandages up the wounds that are inflicted upon people from living in a sinful world with sinful people. And that's, there's a lot there. He brings healing, he, that internal bandaging of your heart for people who have been uh, wounded from living in a sinful world with other sinful people. He proclaims freedom, that's, that's deliverance. Anything that binds people. In Isaiah, it's, it's freedom for the captives. That word freedom is a technical term for people released from slavery. In Old Testament times and in New Testament, you were enslaved for two major reasons. One is you were in debt, and so you sold yourself as a slave to pay off your debt. And the other was if your country got defeated in a war and you were taken prisoner by the other military. You're a military captive. The the Messiah King, he's going to set prisoners free. He releases from darkness. That phrase is literally, he opens the eyes wide. That's why when Jesus quotes it, he says he opens the eyes of the blind. Literally, release from darkness is to open wide the eyes. Of those who are in prison, who are you can think of someone who's in a dungeon who's brought out into the light. And there are all kinds of things that bind people. Fear, anxiety, sin, lies, ignorance. Any number of things that, that can lock people up, that can bind people. And the Messiah King comes to proclaim freedom, release from that bondage. The year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus doesn't quote the day of vengeance because it hasn't yet happened. Think about the difference between a year and a day. Those are symbolic words, but just the difference in duration. The year of the Lord's favor, the year of his goodwill, the opportunity to repent and to be reconciled to God. And that year has been going on for 2,000 years We're still in, right now, 2023, we're still in the year of the Lord's favor. There's still an opportunity for any who are far away to to come near. Jesus is still seeking and saving those who are lost. He's still doing that. There will come a time when he returns and that opportunity will be, it'll be closed. The door's going to close and that's the day of vengeance. That's the day of Jesus judging those who've rejected him, the wicked, the evil, It's a year versus a day, and Jesus doesn't talk about the day in Luke 4 because that's not what he came to do the first time. That's what he'll do the second time. And again, we're still living in that year of goodwill, that year of the Lord's favor to comfort those who mourn. Again, imagine if you were forcibly removed from your home, your hometown, your home country. Think about the level of grief involved in that. This Messiah king will console and encourage those who are grieving, but he goes beyond this. this it's more than this, but he kind of goes beyond the pat on the back, and it's going to be okay. He's transforming the circumstances. That's what those three bullet points. He provides for those who grieve in Zion. What does that look like? A crown of beauty instead of ashes, which is a symbol of mourning. The oil of gladness instead of Grieving. A garment of praise instead of spirit of despair, of hopelessness. There's a transformation there. That What Isaiah is communicating is this Messiah King. He's not just going to console you. He's actually going to transform the circumstances that led to your grieving and your mourning in the first place. It's a complete reversal. And again, as you think through the ministry of Jesus, you see him doing all of these things. And the lives of the people that he encounters Some of it's very literal. He opens the eyes of people who can't see, of blind people. Some of it, it's it's a bit more metaphorical. He's opening the spiritual eyes of people who are blind. He's setting people free, whether that's free from demonic oppression or whether that's free from sin by offering them forgiveness. He sets people free from death when he raises them from the grave. We see all of this played out in the life of Jesus. It's the job description of the Messiah King, and that's him. So I'm going to pause, and we'll we'll come back to this. I want to pause. So during worship, someone came up and said, I feel like this is what's going on in the room, and it resonated with me, and so I want to make sure that we hit this. So maybe a handful of you, three to five, you're... um, you've been wounded pretty deeply and you've been wounded through the actions of the church. Not necessarily church didn't intentionally do something, but there was just, again, fallen world sinful people and you got caught in the mix of that. I I don't know this, but I think it's probably somebody like me that wounded you, somebody in my role. They didn't respond to you the way that maybe you thought they should. And it's caused you to pull back and to pull back not just from the church, but to pull back from the Lord. And one, I'm glad you're here. Not easy to show up. And two, that oil of gladness, that garment of praise, that crown of beauty is available for you. This is content. This is still The ministry of Jesus. It's not we still live in the year of His favor, so this ministry is still available to everyone. So if that's you, I want to encourage you. At the end of the service, we're going to have an opportunity for ministry, and I'm going to forget to say it, so I'm saying it now. I want you. I would encourage you. Let somebody pray for you. You can find me. I'll be sitting over here on the side, and we would love to pray. And you don't have to tell me your whole story, but I'll pray as a representative of the church. That your heart would be healed, whatever that wound was. And we're not blaming anybody. It's just the reality of where we are. And that you would experience the joy that the Lord uh, has for you once again. So back to this. Is that good? All right. So this ministry of the Messiah and then the result of that. And there's two results. The people who follow him get a new identity. And they get a new responsibility. That new identity is oaks of righteousness. An oak is a strong and sturdy tree. Righteous, that is to be declared in right standing. We talked about that last week. I'm guilty and God declares me innocent. So that's my standing before him. If he's the judge, I go from guilty to innocent. I'm in right standing before him. And righteousness speaks to living rightly, to obeying him and his word. So that's what we're oaks of righteousness. We're a planting of the Lord. It's his work. It's something that he has done. It's not up to us. And our lives are for the display of his splendor. Our lives are to point to his goodness and to his greatness. And then we're given a new responsibility, those who follow this king in Isaiah 61. And it's rebuilding and renewing and restoring things that are devastated. Again, so if you remember, we talked about this when we looked at Ezra and Nehemiah a couple of years ago. If you can remember that. When the Babylonians come and they take the Israelites into captivity, they destroy the city of Jerusalem. They destroy the walls, they destroy the temple, and they burn it. They burn all the houses in the city. And so now you're living in Babylon, and everything you've known has been torn down and burned to the ground. And what Isaiah is saying is when the Messiah King comes, y'all are going to get to go back and rebuild your homes. And you're going to get to rebuild your hometown. These ruins, these cities that have been long devastated, you're going to go back, and you're going to bring them back to the condition in which you left them, You're gonna have, that's, that's your responsibility and that's your privilege. You can probably see how these things connect in when we think about the good works that God has for us to do. And you can think about those good works in two major ways. It just whichever one resonates most with you. One, if you think in terms of people, that job description of the Messiah may stir your heart. You're not the Messiah neither am I. We're not Jesus, but we're the body of Christ. If you're a Christian, you've been grafted into the body of Christ. You don't have a choice in that. That's part of what it means to become a Christian. The Holy Spirit grafts you into the body of Christ. Whether you're part of a church or not, you're part of the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, you've been gifted. And you may say, I don't have any gifts, and that's just not true. The Bible applies to you too. 1 Corinthians 12, the Holy Spirit has given everyone gifts, each one of us. You may not like them, you may not know what they are, you may not use them, but you have been gifted. And the reason you've been gifted is to love and serve and bless other people. This ministry of Jesus, that job description, proclaiming good news to the poor, comforting, healing, delivering. He's continuing to do that and he he does that through his people, which is us. No one's exempt. He works through his body. Just like the son worked through the, the body Jesus when he was physically on earth, now that Jesus has ascended into heaven, he's working physically through his body, the church. So you've got a role to play. If you're a Christian, then you've been grafted into the body of Christ and you've been given an assignment. Anointed. And you've been given the Holy Spirit and gifts in order to execute that assignment. So we all are proclaiming good news to the poor. And that doesn't mean you have to start knocking on doors and telling people about Jesus. That's not, maybe, but that for most of us, that's not it. That's the umbrella. And then there are things underneath that. For some of you, what your good works are, they look a whole lot like healing. You, 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 You are drawn to people who are brokenhearted and you're really good at helping them, at bandaging those wounds. And you think, well, this is easy, anybody can do it. I'm one who'll say it's not, and they can't. That's a gift that you have. Not everybody opens up to other people the way they open up to you. That's a, that's a gift. And that's part of what you do. That's part of the way that the Lord wants to use you in this year of His favor that's continuing to proclaim good news to the poor. Those who, remember the poor, those who recognize their need for God to help them. And when people are brokenhearted, you come alongside them. For some of you, it looks like healing people physically. That may be part of your training. You're a doctor, or you're a counselor, or you're a chiropractor, whatever that is. And for you, that's more, it's more than a job. You see it as ministry. And you make sure that people know that. For some of you, it looks like comforting and consoling those who are grieving, which is a little bit different from people who are hurting. It's not necessarily the same thing. And you're drawn to people, and and you don't just, maybe for some of you, it's not just consoling. You actually address root causes there. That's something the Lord does through you. For some, it's more about helping people walk in freedom, freedom from fear, freedom from worry and anxiety, free from debt, Free from sin. Free from ignorance or lies. And that's how God uses you. That job description of the Messiah again is, is very people focused. And for some of you, that's what that stirs you. It's getting in the mix with people. And whatever your deal is, it fits under this broader umbrella of what of the mission of the Messiah came. It fits under Isaiah 61. One, and, one, two, and three. This is, this is what Jesus is is doing through you. And for others of you, and this is a little bit more nebulous, so if this doesn't resonate, you can forget it. It's that verse four. It's that whole idea of rebuilding and restoring and renewing, and that maybe stirs you more. When you think about, you know, I, I was listening to Tess, and she said, you know, we do foster care, and they have kids in their home. I know people who do that, and I also know people who work uh, with the foster care system for the state of Georgia, which is that that's a different animal. So it's both foster care. Both of those guys are committed. Both of those families are committed to seeing kids in places of safety and, and wholeness, but they're doing it in two different ways. One is saying I have one or two kids in my home for these periods of time, and the other is saying I'm trying to affect this whole system. I'm rebuilding and repairing and restoring this whole thing That's, that's, that's not perfect. We talk about the walls of the city. Some people call these mountains or areas of influence. These seven systems that influence people who live in a community. There's a government and a legal one. There's church, capital C, business, family, education, arts, and culture, and science, medicine, and technology. And for some of you, you're like, that's me. I want to see the education system. I recognize it's broken in some ways. And and God's called me to put a couple of bricks in that wall. Or maybe it's something with family. It's, hey, I want to see young married couples get a solid foundation. We, we struggle with that, and I want to I wanna help them. It's not necessarily this particular couple or that particular. It's more, in general, just newlyweds. That's kind of my thing. And so you put a, you, you put a few bricks in that. Family wall, but for someone else, they may say for me it's not necessarily newlyweds, it's it's empty nesters, or somebody else may say for me it's people who are struggling to to get pregnant or have uh, or are struggling with something with their children. All of that stuff we could put under the umbrella of family, but it looks a little different. And it's not necessarily about individual people. It's more kind of this group. This again, it's a structural issue. And again, for some of you, you're like eh. so, don't listen. But for some, that resonates. We have these callings, and again, some of them kind of lean, some of us are maybe wired a bit more relationally, and so we think in terms of those people, the individuals, and helping them, comforting, and it doesn't necessarily, maybe for you, like, it doesn't even matter what they need, it's just they're my people, and so I, I'm there for them. And for others, maybe it leans a bit more structural or institutional. Both are great. But those are fulfilling this ministry of the Messiah, and then the results of following Him. But recognize that activity, it flows out of this new identity. You're an oak of righteousness. You're a planting of the Lord. That's who you are as a follower of Jesus, and that's firmly established. So we're not doing good works in order to make God like us. We're not doing good works in order to be saved. We're not doing good works in order... To get rewarded by him, although there is an element of that in heaven, but we don't even know what that means. And so we kind of shelve all of that and say, this is out of gratitude for what you've done for me. This is out of love for you. This is out of obedience to you. That's why I'm doing these things. And then kind of the rest of that, we we, we, we back burner. That's not necessarily helpful ways of thinking. So as we close, maybe a couple of things for you. And again, I'm trying to be sensitive to people who are going to feel guilty or people who are going to feel confused. A few steps that you can take. If you're going, I don't really know what my thing is, I would say, well, pray. Do what Tess did. God, show me. These are good works that he's created in advance for you to do, and he wants you to know them. He's not playing hide-and-seek with you. He wants you to know, so just ask. And most likely, whatever it is, is something that's going to fit with you. He's probably not going to ask you to do something you hate and maybe a stretch, but it's probably not going to be something that initially you're like, I hate that. It's going to fit with how he's made you. He's created you, and he's created these things for you to do, and you, there's a fit there. And I would encourage you to serve. It's easier to move a steering ship. So where are opportunities where you can go ahead and plug in? Matt mentioned on the deck we've got 13 or 14 or 15 people who, they've launched ministries. Most people are not going to do that, but for these people they have. That's kind of their obedience. They've, launch these ministries and so connect in with one of them if your thing is hospitality then go talk to Scott and Tina at the table that's what they do they offer hospitality to people on Wednesdays and Saturdays so that may be a great place whether you even know where Delk Road is that's irrelevant if you want to maybe if hospitality is your thing you want to connect in with them and the Lord as you begin to engage it'll help him refine your own sense of calling and there's some things if you if you want to dive deeper you can Um, You can email Kim about any of these things. Uh, I lead a class every August and every January called Deep Roots, where it's 12 weeks where we dive into all four of these anchors at at a greater level, including this one. Um, We have an internship. If you're thinking about either kind of missionary work or church work, you may want to do that internship. It's part-time. It's paid just a little bit. And it, it creates space for you to process and for us to dialogue about what your calling may be. Um, for some of you, you know, you're just kind of stuck. You're like, I, I feel like God's called me to do this, but maybe there's a, a financial component and you're not able to get over that hump. We we do grants and you can fill out a, a grant request form and we can give you, we can, we're not going to give you $25,000, but we'll give you some money to, to get started if that's the best thing. What we're trying to do is remove obstacles because my conviction and our conviction is God wants to transform our community, and that's not going to happen until all of us are engaged. He's going to do that through the body, and the body is us. And so there's a part for all of us to play, and so we, we want to do that. And if all of us are playing our part, then it's not too much burden on any one person. Your gifts are needed. That's why he gave them to you. And minor needed and that's why he gave them to me and so as all of us are exercising those gifts, living out our calling in the places where he's planted us, we will over time see our communities transformed so anything we can do as a church to remove obstacles and to give people handholds that's what we want to do. I know that's a time and some of you like that's not, you didn't come like you're hurting and so that's why you came to church and I didn't necessarily address that directly so I'm going to do that as we close but I do want to encourage you <coughs> Where are you? Like, geographically, where are you? Do you have any idea? And this is not criticism. God, what are you doing in this place among these people? And how do you, like, why am I here? Why am I here? My job transferred me. Assume the sovereignty of God. This is where I got into school. Well, why are they not here? God, why am I here? How do you want to use me in this place? And then recognize you've been anointed, set apart, and empowered to do good things. And he wants to show you what those good things are. And if you're attempting to do those good things, you can't screw up. You're not going to. Even if, hey, this isn't exactly the right fit for me, it's still okay. Because your desire is to do these good works that he's created for you to do. So we're going to take some time and pray. And here's a couple of things. So one, I'm going to invite all of you to have an opportunity to to come forward. Um, And I would encourage you to do that, even if you don't want to participate, just so nobody has to step over you because it'll be be awkward um, and a potential tripping hazard. So we're going to have teams here and over here that are going to anoint. And there's two questions. Are you weary... Or are you ready? So last week we talked about people who pour out, but they don't necessarily get filled up, and that's a recipe for disaster over time. And so if you would say this morning, I'm actually weary, You're that, you came here hurting, then we would say, go to, go to one of these teams, they're going to have water, which is it's just tap water, There's not, it's not magic. And they're gonna put a cross on your hand, and they're gonna, just as a symbol, and they're gonna say something like, Father, would you refresh whatever your name is, Drew, with the love and peace and hope of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit? That's all they're gonna say. And then you can either kneel here or you can go back to your seat. Father, would you refresh Drew with the love and peace and hope of Jesus through the Holy Spirit? Something along those lines. Some of you, you're ready. Like you have a clear sense of calling and you're ready to get started. And so you're going to go to somebody who has a thing of oil. We'll do water, water, oil, oil. There'll be four people up front and there'll be some folks over there. And they're going to make a cross on your hand again. It's not magic oil. It's just oil. It's a symbol of what we believe and hope is anointing. God, would you anoint Nathaniel? To do the ministry of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's all they're going to say. So you just tell whoever it is your first name. Even if you know them, you tell them because sometimes people forget. And then that's all they're going to pray. Either you're ready or you're weary. And for those, I do remember, for those church people, you can come find me. And we'll, um, I'll pray for you. Good? All right. If you're helping with these things, come forward. Everybody else, you would pray with me just briefly. I know we're running a little bit late. I'm sorry. Holy Spirit, I pray for those who are weary this morning. I pray that you would refresh them. People who who are brokenhearted, that you would renew them. People who are grieving, that you would comfort them. There are people, they, they need your ministry, Jesus, this morning. We didn't talk a lot about it, but they need it. And I pray that you would deliver that ministry to them this morning, that they would be refreshed and renewed. And God, I'm grateful for those who are, who are ready, who are saying, yes, I have a sense of what God, how he wants to use me in whatever place he's planted me. God, I pray that you would anoint them. I truly pray that you would empower them. I pray the gifts that you've given them would be honed and heightened and intensified. God, for those who maybe are feeling a bit guilty or burdened by this, I don't have time for this or I'm not qualified for this, I pray that they would sense your comfort just as a father saying, it's okay, it's okay, just take the next right step. And God, that in in the right time and in the right ways, you would reveal to them what it is you would have them do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week.